From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. It is clearly now the will of the Parliamentary Conservative Party that there should be a new leader of that party and therefore a new Prime Minister. Politics in general has taken total leave of its senses. Changing one man at the top of the Tory party won't make any difference. He won't fix the problems. Let's have a fresh start for Britain. Let's have a real change of government. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up on today's programme, we dig into the Tory leadership debates from the weekend as the race enters a crucial week with Bloomberg reporters Lizzie Burden and Joe Mays. And Max Anderson from think tank Bright Blue joins us to talk about where the Conservative Party goes next after this fractious leadership contest. And is it just me or is it getting warm in here? We're going to hear from the government's former head of energy policy, Adam Bell, about the UK's hotter future as we're set to hit record temperatures. So the race to replace Boris Johnson also heating up when Tory MPs meet this afternoon to whittle the candidates down to four. The temperature around Parliament is set to be 37 degrees. But there was more than hot air last night as the second TV debate turned pretty frosty. The front-runner and former Chancellor Rishi Sunak clashed with his rivals, Trade Minister Penny Mordaunt and the Foreign Secretary Liz Truss, over economic policy. They need some immediate action now. Um, I don't understand why uh, Rishi doesn't accept that. Uh, But I also think there's things we can do that don't cost any money. You know what? This something-for-nothing economics isn't conservative. Uh, It's uh, socialism. Under your plans, we are predicted to have a recession because you have raised tax. It is cutting back on growth. It is preventing companies from investing. And it's taking money out of people's pockets. That is no way to get the economy going during a recession. Well, Sunak remains the front-runner as we start the final week of MPs voting. He's got 101 MPs backing him. Penny Mordaunt and Liz Truss are in second and third place and trailing further behind Kemi Badenoch on 49 votes and Tom Tugendhat on 32. Well, one of those five candidates, of course, will be eliminated this evening with voting taking place between 5 and 7 p.m. Joining us now for more on the debates is Bloomberg's EMEA government and economics reporter Lizzie Burden. Great to have you in studio. So soon I can trust, it seems, according to reporting in The Times, won't actually appear in the third TV debate. We're expecting three. We've got two over the weekend. They're wanting to focus on the hustings. Why do you think that is? Well, it got so ugly in Sunday night's debate, didn't it? Uh, they were personally attacking each other. Uh, Sunak was saying that Truss and Penny Mordaunt, the former Defence Secretary, uh, were socialists, which of course was the insult that was slung at Sunak when he was the Chancellor. But the reason he said this time was because they're offering these tax cuts that are offering, in his words, something for nothing, whereas he was presenting himself as the fiscally disciplined candidate uh, who uh, is going to wait until inflation's under control before he cuts. 
cuts taxes. But really, it was not a pretty sight last night. And for whoever wins this contest, uh, the, 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 the losers are probably going to want to be in their cabinet. And they're also going to want to def- defeat Keir Starmer when it comes to a general election. So perhaps the idea is to avoid these bitter rivalries from festering any further. Interesting. Sky News just confirmed they're cancelling the uh, Conservative leadership debate. So those two, looks like those will be the only two uh, we get now. Uh, no more uh, t- no more TV debates. Just talk to us about some of the attacks on the Bank of England. I thought this was interesting, really. Normally you think the Bank of England is uh, kind of uh, slightly untouchable. Independent Bank of England independent now for the last 20-odd uh, uh, years. But some of the candidates are starting to, to chip away at that a little bit. Yeah, no holds barred when it came to the economy. So Liz Truss was saying that she wouldn't remove the Bank of England's independence, but she would perhaps change the bank's mandate. She pointed to Japan as a potential source of inspiration, which is somewhat eyebrow-raising given the deflation problems that you see in Japan. One macro strategist said to me today that this is bonkers, that it's going to repel foreign investors from UK gilts. Uh, But it's not macro strategists who are voting in this race Uh, and you have to wonder whether when it comes down to the final two if Sunak makes it his message of uh, responsibility on the economy of course he defended the Bank of England when Truss was criticising it uh, will translate to the grassroots or will they just be seduced by all the tax cuts that he's dangling Mm. and everyone doing their best Thatcher impression trying to sort of say that they um, you know that they are are the kind of rep- modern representation, I suppose, of Thatcher. I think it's interesting that some interpret the Thatcherite legacy as merely tax cut after tax cut, whereas others, uh, for example, David Willits, who served in Thatcher's policy unit, uh, say that really Thatcherism is about earning tax cuts through fiscal discipline. And lots of former chancellors have come out backing Rishi Sunak, saying that really he's the heir to Margaret Thatcher because that's exactly what he's promising. Bloomberg's Lizzie Byrne, thanks so much for joining us on the Bloomberg Westminster. Well, let's bring in Bloomberg's UK government reporter, Joe Mays. Now, Joe, talk us through uh, what's happening at Westminster, in, in specifically in the Palace of Westminster. Now, uh, this could be Boris Johnson's last week in Parliament. What are we expecting to come up? Anything interesting? So, obviously, we have the Tory leadership contest ongoing. We know that there are votes on Monday evening, Tuesday evening, Wednesday, and that will get us down to that final two, and then it will go to the membership of the Conservative Party to, to let the, the next Prime Minister. So that's, that's, that's all going on in the background. Plus, we have Boris Johnson's, what will be his final PMQs, because it's the last one for Parliament summer recess. So I expect that to be kind of a valedictory session where he'll try to talk about his legacy and Keir Starmer will try to say it's been a poor one. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to watch from a kind of historical perspective. Will there be any kind of applause or will there be any kind of send-off that he'll get from his party? We'll have to see. Well, of course, um, Joe, what sort of send-off will Boris Johnson get? He wasn't uh, the friend of anybody in that kind of leadership race um, in the TV debate. None of them said that they would give Johnson a position uh, in government if he wanted one. Yes, that was a quite striking moment, wasn't it? And uh, I think all of the candidates trying to distance themselves from the Johnson regime. I mean, Rishi Sunak resigned from it. Liz Truss and Penny Mordaunt didn't resign the ministerial positions. Kemi Badenoch did. Obviously, Tom Tugendhat was an outsider. So, yeah, but they're all trying to 
create that distance. And but it will be difficult because if someone like Rishi Sunak becomes prime minister, the opposition Labour Party will be able to say into the round for the next election, look, you know, you did support this man for a very long time. And I, I think we can expect that to be a Labour attack line uh, going forward. Similarly, if this trust became prime minister again, the charge would be made. You know, why didn't you leave the Johnson government? sooner. Um, so that's something they'll have to they'll have to contend with. But yeah, clearly it's not good in their eyes to be associated with Boris Johnson too closely at this point. Now Joe, normally ahead of recess the uh, government tries to clear out the uh, decks. Any interesting legislation we're expecting? Any, any, any bills the government will try to get through over the next uh, four or five sessions? Well, we know that the um, financial services bill is coming this week, and that's quite a big one for the city. Where we have the government essentially trying to pare back some of the e-regulation that's been governing the city, specifically around solvency too. And we know the government wants to allow insurers to have cash freed up to invest in infrastructure projects, for example. But then also there's a kind of debate going on with the Bank of England because they are worried about loosening things too much. and They want to keep that kind of strict regulatory approach that um, has, in their eyes, kept the UK financial system stable. So I think that's something to, to watch out for. The Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, we know, has been very controversial in this parliament, and that's kind of continuing its progress uh, going into its committee stage. So that's something also to look out for. But it won't come into law um, before before Thursday. There's still more to go. It's still going to House of Lords as well. So that's that's kind of continuing its passage through parliament. So I, I identify those two to kind of keep an eye out for. Okay, so quite a lot to think about then this week. Having said that, um, you know, with the summer recess amidst this cost of living crisis um, and real worries now about kind of Russian gas cut off, could this be an issue that sort of arises whilst there's um, really very little by way of kind of government uh, in place to deal with it? I definitely think so, yes. I and mean, we're going to have effectively no no real de facto prime minister over the summer insofar as Johnson will be there as like, the caretaker. But we'll all be looking forward to who the next person is, what their plans are. But until that new person comes in, the government said it's not going to make any major fiscal decisions. So if it were the case that, you know, there was some big energy shock further to what we've seen already and so on, you, there's question marks about how nimble and how kind of authoritative the government could be in its response. I think we're all going to be looking to Parliament coming back in September and there'll be a massive pressure on the new incoming Prime Minister to kind of aggressively address these issues that will have been probably building up over the summer. There's industrial action to think about as well. We have more train strikes in the calendar to look forward to, so to speak. So there's going to be so much in the inbox of, of, of the new PM. Energy, industrial action, uh, continuing to address Russia's war in Ukraine. It's going to be a, a packed inbox for whoever, whoever um, succeeds Boris Johnson. Joe, do you think this, uh, on balance, this, this is going to be a net positive for the Tories, or do you think it's going to look like uh, they're spending the summer kind of navel-gazing? I think um, the contest itself is somewhat damaging, as in it is, it's, you know, blue-on-blue blue action, Tories criticising each other, kind of, it, it, it doesn't have a very dignified look to it at this point in time. But I think the view is that, in the long term, this does have to happen, and that, the electoral prospects of the Tories are helped in the longer run by having someone instead of Boris Johnson. They've got to go through this kind of short-term pain, which, yeah, which will be damaging. But I guess the new leader will hope they can rebuild the reputation of the Conservative Party, they can have a fresh message to the country, such that come the next general election, which has to happen by January 2025, it could come earlier, 24, 23, at least then they'll, they'll have like a, a better perspective than if they'd kept Boris Johnson. That was clearly the calculation they made a couple of weeks ago when they, when they basically forced him out. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. 
But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Well, joining us now is Max Anderson, who is Senior Communications Officer at Bright Blue. The think tank describes itself as independent and in favour of liberal conservatism. Max, great to have you with us uh, today. The think tank seems to be very supportive of Rishi Sunak, the former Chancellor. Is that the candidate that you're backing? And how do you think he did in the debates? Well, I mean, as I said, we're an independent think tank. So we're here for the policies more than the personality. So I can't say whether or not we're backing Rishi Sunak. All I can say is that, you know, we want creative, forward-thinking policies. Uh, if you think that's Rishi Sunak, then great. But um, I can't possibly say that. But those are the policies we're looking for. Uh, and Yeah. Max, does it feel to you that there is uh, something of a, of a drift to the right. I mean, inevitably, when parties discuss amongst their members, I think it's inevitable that the candidates tend to uh, aim their 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 speech towards uh, the, the party's right, or in Labour Party's case, uh, the left. But it does feel that there has been a rightward drift. Is is that your feeling as well? Uh, I, I can see why people think that, and particularly, you know, they're aiming for uh, the Conservative membership, who would probably be from that side. But we've got to bear in mind, there's been quite a a good mix of policies being put forward from uh, all different angles. Uh, so I, I wouldn't completely necessarily agree with that. Uh, and, you know, kind of Boris Johnson kind of got put with that uh, kind of staple as well. But we've got to remember he was very, very generous on welfare towards the end of his time and also uh, great on net zero. So I think it's not just as simple to say that the party is all moving right. Maybe this is just rhetoric for the moment and maybe it becomes more centre. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't think it's... Uh, a complete drift to the right. We do. We are seeing a complete mix of policies being put forward. Okay. What do you make then of the limited policies that we've heard about from these five candidates so far? Rishi Sunak seems to be on the outside in terms of having, you know, believing that you have to pay for tax cuts. The other four have pushed that quite strongly. Um, it's not the only set of policies they've put forward, but it is the most striking. What do you make of the policy mix that has been proposed so far? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think the most worrying thing is that it's kind of been broad headline uh, tax cuts that were being promised at the moment. There are certain concerns with that. We've got to to be sensible here. We can only go with uh, tax cuts that are feasible. I mean, we're in a situation where we're going to end up, well, we're we're heading towards recession, we're high inflation, and interest rates are expected to increase. Uh, So the promises of just broad headline uh, tax cut is worrying. And I think what would be much stronger to do is introduce more targeted approaches, more targeted tax cuts. Because, of course, we're a conservative think tank. We would like to see tax cuts. But that being said, we don't want to see it uh, to the extent where it really starts to hurt the economy. I think certainly there are so many more targeted approaches that can help either build growth uh, or help those who are really struggling. So I think um, people, I think the candidates have to really think about what they're offering uh, and try and go more in-depth, more uh, personal with the policies. Do you worry that the party is too fixated on on culture issues like trans rights when voters are totally fixated on the cost of living and and the the soaring inflation problem we have? 
No, I, I completely agree with that statement. I, I, I think there are so many problems at the moment. We have a war in Ukraine, a cost of living crisis. People are really, really struggling on at the moment. Uh, I, I, I think talking about trans rights is an important issue. Um, but considering um, the way it's kind of being used to create this woke war, culture war, I'm slightly worried by. I think people just want to really listen to to what is what is the uh, the future prime minister's plan for fixing the problems that we have right now and fixing mm. some of the long term issues that we do have. So no, I completely agree with you. A poll out today by YouGov has found that climate change is the lowest priority for the Tory membership. But polling amongst the general public, of course, shows a pretty broad support in terms of action on climate change. Today and tomorrow, we're expected to break new record highs in terms of temperatures here in the UK. This is a result um, of climate change. How do you think that candidates balance these sort of pressures? You know, they've got to woo the membership who don't seem terribly interested in climate change issues and then appeal to a wider population. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it is a, a tough position that they're getting, being put into. But, I mean, all, all, I think with 100% they should be pursuing with the net zero agenda. I think there's, there's not really many reasons not to want to back it fully. I mean, we, we look at it, we want a safer world. And, I mean, the heats right now are going to cause a lot of a struggle on British infrastructure and workers. But not only that, we're in a great position to be leaders of climate technology and really take um, the world into the new age and be a leader of that. I don't see why we wouldn't want to be uh, trying to pursue with that. But also, uh, we've also seen where this can kind of play in levelling up the country, where we can see climate technology being brought and offering uh, stable and well-paid jobs to areas of this country that uh, are really, really struggling. I think I, I can't see any reason why uh, we wouldn't want to continue with that. I know that it might not be the number one priority of the Conservative members, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it isn't something that we should still 100% pursue and continue with. Do you think the current leadership candidates show the party in in a good light? Certainly a very diverse range of candidates, uh, a very good uh, balance, but not a huge amount of experience. Aside from uh, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, uh, not much cabinet experience amongst all these people. Well, I, I, th- I think that's an, I think that's a good thing uh, as well. I think that shows that the party does have diversity outside of the current Boris Johnson administration. Um, so I, I think that's a good thing to be able to see all different type of flavours and backgrounds for for the party, um, the candidates who are running at the moment. So I don't think you just necessarily want to see big sectarian states going for this. Uh, so I think it's nice, and frankly, it shows some. Uh, different ends of the party that people might not have seen before. So I think that, that's, um, I think it's more of a positive. I think, you know, obviously we've seen that the Sky News debate is going to likely be cancelled. Uh, and I think that that is a shame because it's great to see some of these candidates who the public haven't seen um, in a great deal of light, uh, they're being able to see more of it. So I think that particularly for the Conservative Party, I think it does help to see more of the people who are, are behind the scenes necessarily than just on the front pages. Great stuff. Thanks so much. That's Max Anderson, Senior Communications Officer at Bright Blue, uh, which describes itself as an independent think tank uh, for liberal conservatives. Just giving his view on, on the way forward uh, for the Conservative Party. Mm, now, if any of our listeners are working around Westminster today, we've got some pretty bad news for you. London's set to be one of the hottest places in the world today. Temperatures soaring to perhaps some 40 degrees. So if you're working in Parliament, we hope you've invested in, well, some fans. <laughs> well, if these heatwaves become more regular as climate scientists predict they will, 
Does the UK need to rethink how it plans for extreme heat? We spoke to the former government head of energy policy, Adam Bell, who works for Stonehaven, which is a consultancy firm. He says that the economic costs are only going to get bigger. I think we're absolutely getting worried over quite a bit. And if you look at the work that the Committee on Climate Change has done around the risks to our infrastructure, not just this year, but quite frankly, as heat waves increase, you can see a significant impact on our economy if we, if we fail to adapt. So this includes a range of um, different sorts of impacts. For example, um, shrink and swell subsidence, which is when clay soils like the soils that are unfortunately under London, as they absorb water, they expand. And as that water is evaporated from heat, they start to start to contract with impacts upon the built environment. But also subterranean infrastructure like um, buried power cables and gas pipes, a significant proportion of those are vulnerable to this sort of, um, this sort of impact. Our rail infrastructure as well relies on, well, high rail is not getting too hot. There's different things you can do to adapt that sort of um, infrastructure, but it's quite costly to do so. And I think the interesting challenge for government here is identifying exactly where it can invest in the short run to mitigate some of these impacts, because those costs are only going to increase. In 2010, the heat wave cost the economy about £710 million. I think this summer is going to cost significantly more, as well yeah. as the impact upon our health services too. Yeah, and a great deal of work, or perhaps more work, has been done about increased wet weather in the UK than it has been done around heat, because it is just so unusual. I mean, there's been lots of advice, uh, you know, about how... Um, people can live if if temperatures do go up i mean for example borrowing um from other hotter countries where people work different hours in order to kind of avoid being active between one and five i mean this is completely alien really to 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 the uk but do you think that it's something that you know that we need to rethink in terms of working in hot temperatures I think especially as climate change progresses and as the country gets hotter, we'll need to continually re-examine our working practices to ensure that we're not losing productivity and we're not losing, well, lives, quite frankly, as well, as a consequence of the, uh, the way in which we work. I mean, in 2020 alone, the heat wave then cost um, 2,500 lives. And with the greatest respect, I suspect, today and tomorrow are going to cost more lives as well. Mm. It's important to make sure that alongside um, adaptations to our working practices, we think about adaptations to our homes where more of us are spending more time working. So doing things like just closing your curtains when the sun is shining on them is critical, making sure that you've got um, a fan um, either pointed at you, ideally pointed at you, then towards a window to help create a chimney effect and get hot out of the house. It's all those little sorts of adaptations that a lot of other countries are better at, which I hope we're going to start um, experiment, experimenting with over the next couple of days. But should there be statutory temperature limits in terms of workplaces? Unions are calling for this, that there should be a limit no higher above 20 degrees Celsius. I'm not sure how one would implement that, but certainly GMB, Union and others want that to happen. What do you think? There are already relatively high limits for workplaces where heat is often a problem. And I don't think it's unreasonable to require those. After, above a certain point, of course, you get a certain amount of, da- of danger of life. Um, I think it would be quite a difficult one to roll out across the country. Um, up until you've adapted all our buildings to the stresses of new heat waves, you can't necessarily require an awful lot of small businesses to, to reduce their internal temperatures to, uh, and most say, 21. That's a quite an expensive air conditioning load. And if you did that overnight, you'd create the, the sorts of impacts on the power grid that we just discussed. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.